Welcome to this week's uh, Think Jewish. And besides it being the week of Parsha's Chukat, the story of the red heifer, parenthetically speaking, there is the Temple Institute, which has a specific department for the red heifer, and they actually announced that on June 14th of 2014, this year, there actually was born a kosher, a kosher um, red heifer. Kosher red heifer means it doesn't even have two black hairs. They're actually making sure that it is brought up in a certain way that is permissible to be used. Let Mashiach come immediately and we will need it immediately to be purified. Uh, God willing, in this week's email, I will be sending you a clip of it and hearing a little explanation. So that, that's, that's interesting news for that to happen. But either way, this week is the Torah portion of Chukat. And besides that, this Tuesday is the third day of the Hebrew calendar month, Tammuz, which is going to be the 20th yard site, the Yom Hilula of the Rebbe of Blessed Memory. So tonight's topic is actually called The Love of a Rebbe, If Only King Solomon Knew. So let's talk about that, okay? King Solomon wrote amongst his writings, he's actually also one of the ten authors of the Book of Psalms, but besides that, what most famous we know of the writings of King Solomon is two books that are called Megillot. There are five Megillot. Most of you know most famous, the Megillot Esther of Purim. But there are five Megillot. And two of those Megillot were written by King Solomon. One of them, Kohelet. I'm going to say this wrong. Ex, exli, someone help me out here? Ecclesiastic, thank you. <laughs> and uh, that book, King Solomon writes it as an older man reflecting upon. It's a very, it's a more somber book, and it, as an older man it's, uh, reflecting upon the wisdom and ex, that uh, and priorities in life that life's experience has taught him. There's another book that he wrote, which is called Shir Hashirim, Song of Songs, known simply as the Book of Songs. That book is far more flowery, passionate, in which he speaks of love, the love, the true love between a man and a woman, and he uses that as a metaphor for the love of the soul to God. Interesting enough, the previous Rebbe said something very interesting. He said, were King Solomon to know of the love that exists between a Rebbe and a Chassid, he would have used the metaphor of a Rebbe and a Chassid rather than the metaphor of a man and a woman to describe the love that exists. This unconditional, unbreakable, infinite love and yearning which exists between a soul and God. That's a very interesting statement. Um, Zalman Posner, in his book called Think Jewish, interesting, this class is called Think Jewish, but in his book called Think Jewish, he quotes over there a very interesting conversation where a person in a private audience with the Rebbe expressed with concern, questioning the type of devotion and love that a chassid, a follower, has for the Rebbe. To which the Rebbe responded very simply, it is a pale reflection of my love and devotion to them. Interesting 
Just wanted to share this all in way of introduction. Let's for a moment turn to the Torah portion of Chukat. Chukat, as I told you, begins with the stories of the red heifer. In the history of the Jewish people, there was nine such procedures. The process of a red heifer, and the tenth one will be done by Mashiach Tzitkenu. So says the Rambam, by a righteous Mashiach, and obviously it's going to have to do, be from the first things that are done, because we need to be purified in order to be able to begin the whole process of sacrifice, so forth and so on. Right after the story of the red heifer, the Torah tells us a simple story of the death, the passing of Miriam. Miriam was the sister of Moses and Aaron. Rashi Rabbi Yitzchaki, French, from the 11th century, was classic commentator on the Chumash. Rashi questions, what does the story of Miriam's passing have to do with the story of the red heifer that the Torah puts them consecutively, consecutively connected one after another. And then he goes on to explain the relationship between the passing of a tzaddik, of a righteous, pious person, with the purification process of the red heifer. This Tuesday, World Jury and Chabad will be reflecting upon this Rashi of this week's Torah portion as we will be in the 20th yard side of the Rebbe. So, with that being said, let's talk about this concept of love. Let's talk about the Rebbe. You know, there's three books actually that just came out. One more famous, making it to the top of many charts, is a book by Joseph Telushkin called The Rebbe, a biography. There's another book written by Chaim Miller, which is called Turning Judaism Outwards, just, just also published. There's a third book called My Rebbe, which was written by uh, Adin Steinsaltz. So there are many books that talk about the biography of the Rebbe, the leadership of the Rebbe, and, and just for anyone interested in understanding Chabad, understanding the Rebbe, there is the understanding the Rebbe's leadership. They're really great books. Each three, each one of them did a, a really great job. However, for the sake of your listening to stop at the same time that my talking stops, and not before that, we're going to just focus on one point. One point. We're not going to spend tonight talking about all the dynamics, not that I can even, not that I grasp it, nor can I share it. The, all the dynamics of the Rebbe's leadership, the Rebbe's life. But I want to focus on one point. The Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Leadi, the founder of Chabad Lubavitch, expresses clearly that the entire center, core, heart of Hasidus, of his entire work, Chabad, is love your fellow man as yourself. Via hafta l'riacha kamocha. His book called Tanya, was made, is made up of 53 chapters and if you go from chapter 31 to 33 you'll see that originally they were written without chapter 32. Just read it once. Go straight from 31 into 33. Skip 32. And you'll realize that it's, it's a direct flow because originally, originally there was no chapter 32. And then he separated 31 from 33 and then he put in chapter 32 
what does chapter 32 talk about? And he starts, and be with what I explained in chapter 31, that we have to put the main focus on the soul, and then turn the body into the side dish, not the main dish. Through this we'll be able to understand the mitzvah of love your fellow Jew as yourself, because what differs between us is only our bodies, our animalistic souls, while our godly souls are all identical twins, all equal children to one father. And he goes on and explains this mitzvah of love your fellow man as yourself. Love your fellow as yourself. And later it was explained that the reason why he did this is because those who know the numerology of letters, 32 is the word heart, lev. Lamed is 30, bet is 2. And he specifically did this to go ahead and teach us that the heart of everything he's trying to teach us is the mitzvah of love your fellow as yourself. That's not just the Alter Rebbe says that, and he's the founder of Chabad Lubavitch, but later on his offspring, his successors, explain it over and over and over again. In the Rebbe's teachings, you find that there's actually in the Rebbe's calendar a quote from the fifth Lubavitch Rebbe, what is all the teachings of Hasidus worth if it doesn't bring to love your fellow man, and it can even, God forbid, a person who calls himself a Hasid, learning Hasidus, can even harm another fellow, either with words, with, with whatever it may be. So the center of Hasidus, the center of Hasidus Chabad, is one mitzvah. Love your fellow as yourself. Period. Thus, to focus on the Rebbe, who serves as the guide, the leader, the center soul of Hasidus, the proper thing to do for tonight would be to focus on the Rebbe's manifestation, the Rebbe's teaching, and the Rebbe's example of love. What is the Rebbe's definition of love? To love a fellow. How do we see that by the Rebbe? And what does it teach us on this 20th Yardside anniversary? Okay. Let's talk about the Rebbe on two different dimensions. And when I say now the word the Rebbe, I don't mean our Rebbe of blessed memory. I'm talking about the concept Rebbe. Anyone know what Moshe, Moshe's last name was? Rabbeinu. You all heard that joke that we heard in Yeshiva. How do you know that Moshe Rabbeinu was a Sephardi, not an Ashkenazi? Because if it would have been Ashkenazi, it would have been Moshe Rabbeinu. It's, but that's what they say, Rabbeinu. <laughs> Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe, our Rebbe. That's what the word means, Rabbeinu, our Rebbe. So let's focus on what the definition of a Rebbe is. The first thing we're taught... And it's actually this notion is explained already in chapter 2 of the book of Tanya. Is that Rebbe, it, it doesn't use the acronym by the way. The acronym comes from somewhere else, not in the Tanya in chapter 2. But the acronym of the word Rebbe, Resh, Bet, Yud, makes up three words. Rosh, B'nai, Yisrael. The head of the children of Israel. That's what the word Rebbe means. The job of a Rebbe, the position of a Rebbe, the empowerment of a Rebbe is Rosh B'nai Yisrael, to be the head of the children of Israel. When you say the head, we mean primarily what? The brain. So this brain of conscientiousness, that is the Rebbe. If the entire Jewish people, as the Medrash tells us, 
is one unit, one body. And each one of us represents a different part, a different organ of the body. What is Rebbe? Rebbe is Rosh Pene Yisrael, the head of the children of Israel. And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu, the concept of Rebbe was, first and foremost, to be the head, to teach us of a higher conscious that we, on ourselves, cannot encompass. Let's talk about very simple. What happened in the first time where the Jewish people had a direct relationship with God, a direct communication would be the more proper word. What happened the first time God spoke to every organ and every cell of the body rather than just to the brain and allow the brain to transmit? Do you remember what happened? At Mount Sinai, it says the Jewish people, the souls were leaving the body. Because of their lower capacity of relationship, therefore the minute the spark of God, the soul, the peace of God within them was so close to the mother flame, God was talking to each and every one of us, the soul left the body. If you ever watch by a campfire, you'll see the sparks are pulled into the mother flame. If you ever go ahead and you hold a candle next to a big flame, you'll see that the flame is pulling in to the mother flame. And that's exactly what happened by Har Sinai, by Mount Sinai. Immediately the Jewish people started dying and were taught that God had to continuously revive them, bring them back from the dead through the dew, tal, the tal, the dew of Torah brought them back to life. But they kept on dying. And what's the next thing they did? They went running to Moshe. And what did they tell Moshe? God speaks to speak to you, not to us, because we're dying. Let God speak to you, and you will tell us what God said. Think about it from your body point of view. From your body point of view, your organs cannot have that level of conscious, that level of life, that level of sensitivity that your brain has. There's one organ in the body, the brain. And through the nervous system, the brain, the, the brain is communicating to every single part of the body. Parenthetically speaking. There was once someone who asked a very specific, a big godl amongst the non-Hasidim, the Veltesha we call them. And he asked, is it not true that when a chassid asks a Rebbe to pray for him, that should be forbidden according to Jewish law? You're asking the Rebbe, Rebbe, I need, I need help, please pray for me. Because A is not allowed to go to B to pray to God. A needs to talk to God. Using any form of intermediate between you and God is forbidden according to Jewish law. So how do you have the chassidim go to the Rebbe and ask the Rebbe, Rebbe, can you please pray for me? And the Rebbe answers, by the way, yes. The Rebbe answers all the time. I will mention you in prayer at the gravesite of my father-in-law. That was the Rebbe's gateway to heaven. The Rebbe always did the prayers by, when I say always did the prayers, I don't mean the daily prayers. You're not allowed to do daily prayers with a thousand film in a cemetery. But those times when someone asked the Rebbe for a prayer, the Rebbe would say, Ask it, Allah Tzion. I will mention you on the Tzion, on, the, on the, play, the burial place of my father-in-law. So, it's actually a printed answer. And I'm just afraid to say the name because I did not look it up specifically before the class, and I like to see things before. 
But for some reason in my mind, I remember the name Chaim Oizer, or Chaim Oizer, but I could be wrong. So please don't quote me on that. I have to look it up, and God willing, I'll get back to you exactly where this letter is printed. And the response, I saw the response. And the response was as follows. In this situation, the chassidim happened to be right. What you're asking, isn't there a question, a halachic question on the chassidim? Why? And explained why. The chassid asking the Rebbe to pray for him is the foot through the nervous system asking the brain, I need your help. If you view every single Jew as a separate identity, then one Jew asking another Jew to pray for him is problematic according to Jewish law. But if you view the Jidi as the Medrash says, that the entire Jewish people is one body, then it makes sense that every organ turns to the brain for that higher consciousness, that higher connection. So that is when we talk about the Rebbe as Rosh B'nai Yisroh. We clearly see that definition by Moses. The Jewish people clearly identified that we can't live with this level of communication with God. And Moses could. If you remember, by the way, again, parenthetically speaking, Miriam and Aaron made the same mistake. You remember when they gossiped about their brother, Moshe, and God punished them? What was the gossip all about? They found out from Moses' wife, Zipporah, that Moses separated himself from her from living in the in the way of nature between a man and a woman. And they question, well, God doesn't just speak to Moses, he speaks to us too. We didn't separate ourselves. And all of a sudden God appeared and said, how dare you speak, not be afraid to speak about my servant Moses. What really was going on there was that God was telling Aaron and Miriam, you have set times when I appear to you. So you know how to prepare yourself appropriately to make sure that you're not impure through sexual relationships. There are certain laws that in sexual relationships, the man and the woman can both become impure. However, Moses needs to be always ready for me to talk to him. And therefore, at Mount Sinai, I told him, let the others return to their tents, meaning the ways of mankind, while you stay here with me. So we see clearly that the Rebbe, represents this Rosh B'nai Yisrael which needs to be treated, needs to behave and protect itself differently than all the rest of the organs. Now, we're all post Ten Commandments. So what does this mean to us? I just want to make it practical because sometimes when we talk about the notion of Rebbe, we, we become very abstract. Let's be practical here. Can you people please join me for a moment in this very interesting fantasy? Imagine please with me what it would mean to live seven days a week, every week of the year, with the Yom Kippur feeling, sensitivity, awareness. Try to imagine how Yom Kippur, none of us, we're so careful with the words we say. We're so careful in just words of Torah, just thoughts of God, protect ourselves. Because we actually on Yom Kippur feel the presence of God so much closer to us. We feel that we're under a magnifying glass where every single one of our actions, our thoughts, our speech is being very clearly checked whether it is deserving of a clear, open communication with God that we have on Yom Kippur. Now, can any of you imagine doing that for a week? I'm serious. 
a month. Maybe now we have a picture of what was going on between the Jews at Mount Sinai and Moses. Maybe we can now understand what the Jews were telling Moses. You go up there for 48 days and don't eat and drink. We don't do that. We just don't know how to do that. We can't have God talk to us. We just can't. We can't have that type of focus where every single iota of a thought, of an action, of a speech is under such a magnifying glass because we need to be this perfect vessel, the brain. You can't do to the brain what you can do to your hands and feet. Get a zet in your hand. Maybe you'll end up, God forbid, with a cast for six, for six weeks and then you go for physical therapy. Imagine a zet in the head. You can't do that. The brain has to be so much more spiritually protecting itself. It has to be on a total different level of consciousness. And thus the Jews were right. They told Moses, I'm sorry, we can't. You could. So why don't you do it and you translate it to us? So understand now the job of a Rebbe on the level of Rosh B'nai Yisrael. Finding ways to consistently connect us with God on a level that we can maintain. Teaching us Torah again and again. Talking to us. Giving us guidance. Teaching us how to be proud Jews. This is Rosh B'nai Yisrael. The brain. But then there's another teaching. Rashi in the Torah tells us that the heart of Moses is the heart of the Jewish people. And now all of a sudden we have a whole different dynamic. Now we're not talking about Rabbeinu, the Rebbe, being the brain of the children of Israel. We're talking about the Rebbe being the heart of the children of Israel. Total different understanding. Now, were we to be only in, interested in intellectual pursuits, tonight can very easily go on exploration of who's right. Is a Rebbe a brain or is a Rebbe a heart? That would be a futile exploration because you people hung around here long enough to know the answer is going to be what? Both. There you go. So let's not spend tonight exploring which is right. Let's rather spend tonight exploring the differences of the function of a brain, the differences of the function of a heart, and be able to understand what the Torah is demanding of Moses as Rosh B'nai Yisrael and as Liban Shal Yisrael, as the head of the children of Israel and as the heart of the children of Israel. So let's talk about this. What is the function of the brain? What I'm sharing with you, by the way, right now is not my own scientific exploration. It's actually a mimer. What, what I do here with you guys at night and think Jewish is think Jewish. I'm not giving you no medical exploration. I'm sharing with you a, a very clear teaching in a mimer where it talks about the difference between the brain and the heart. Do you know, by the way, that there's a word melech. What does melech mean? Melech means king. What does melech stand for? No, that's with a ches. Melech means king. And correct, correct, Halnit. Melech stands for Mem, Lamed, Ches, Moach, Lev, Kaved. Brain, heart, and the liver. We're not talking about the liver right now. But understand that Melech is the king. Those three organs are the king organs of the body. The mind and the heart we're going to discuss now, and without getting into it, but obviously the liver, 
which is the filter system of the whole body. If something goes wrong there and we have a backup, not a very pretty sight. But we're going to focus now on moach and lev. What is the position of a brain as the king, as one of the three kings, as the head of the body? The job of the head is to be able to understand and interrelate with every single organ and part of the body according to its capacity. So the brain has to, through the nervous system, the optic nerve, it has to give the eye the power of sight. The eye is the perfect vessel for the power of sight. But the actual power of sight lies in the brain. We know that. Stroke victims, brain injuries. So while the blindness could be because of a problem with the retina and the eyeball and the detachment and the optic nerve, there could be many problems. But ultimately speaking, even if everything's perfect, the power of sight in the brain, those brain cells that dominate power of sight, they have to be functioning. And they have to know that that has to go to the eye and not to the ear. The power of hearing has to be sent to the ear. The power of movements of mobility have to be sent to the foot. Every single organ, it needs to be understood by the brain and the relationship needs to be appropriate. I told you I'm not going to get into medical, but of course I can't help myself. So I want to share with you just an interesting notion that a doctor explained to me. There are two cells, two sets of cells in your body that both react the same when it comes to stress. You know which that is? Your brain cells and your stomach cells. Your hands actually do not hurt you when you're stressed out. Your stomach will start going woozy on you and your headache. Where is that? That's not in the stomach cell and it's not in the, it's in the brain. And for whatever reason, through the nervous system, the finger cells are not going to react like the stomach cells. So the, the brain needs to know every single organ of the body, every single cell of the body for its capacity. Now my friends, what happens when you see things for their capacity? Do you know what happens immediately? Immediately with that comes a value system, prioritizing. The brain knows under the stress, duration, when the body is being attacked, it knows which are the life organs that it must be first to protect. The brain knows that, God forbid, we can afford to lose a leg quicker than we can afford to lose the liver. So the brain's focus on the body is with a value system. Who does what? And we need to prioritize that. When we talk about a Rebbe being Rosh B'nai Israel, the head. So do you know, I'm just telling you historical facts. The Rebbe spoke to every Shabbos to people who study Torah. The Rebbe spoke every Sunday directly to every single walk of the Jewish spectrum. Do you know that the Rebbe spoke twice a year for sure, before high holidays and before Shavuot, only to women? Do you know that a couple of times a year the Rebbe spoke only to children? It was called the Tzivot Hashem rally. Now while adults are learning, scholarly adults are learning every single one of those talks, including the Rebbe's talks to children, as our sages tell us, even from Sichat Chulin, even from mundane 
conversation of a, ta- of a Talmud Chacham or a scholar, there's so much to learn. How much more so when the Rebbe is not talking with Dane manners. The Rebbe is delivering a message to women before Shavuot, to, to, to women before Rosh Hashanah. When the Rebbe is talking to children about this concept of how to deal with Yitzhah of course adults and scholars need to learn it. But you do understand that the way the Rebbe was talking to children is very different than the way the Rebbe is talking to women, which is very different to the way the Rebbe is talking to Talmudic scholars. You understand that that same six hours that the Rebbe was standing Sunday dollars talking to everyone, the conversation was very different. The terminology was different. The levels of expectation of what they would understand is different. The Rebbe is not going to go ahead and quote a Talmudic, um, what's the word I'm looking for, Maramokim, a, 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 oh, look there. The Rebbe is not going to tell a person who's coming by with spiked hair and, and an earring, the Rebbe is not going to tell him, oh, by the way, you probably want to look at the Gemara and Chagiga. That's not going to happen. But you could expect the Rebbe to tell that to a Rosh Hashiva, to a student of Torah, to a dean of Torah. So you clearly see the Rosh B'nai Yisrael part is that the Rebbe needs to speak a different language to every single Jew because every single Jew is an important organ of the body which makes up the Jewish people. And the job of the brain is to know and understand the capacity of each Jew and talk to them in their language. Thus you find the Rebbe delivering an unbelievable siyam on the entire Rambam, a siyam on the entire Talmud, on any tractic of the Talmud, and you find the same Rebbe coming up with a very organized plan of different mitzvahs of how to bring secular Jews back to Torah mitzvot. The Rebbe handpicked certain mitzvahs that through this will be able to open up different portals into the person's mind and heart and behavioral habits. The same man doing that because that's the job of the brain. The brain cannot tell one organ, sorry, I don't speak your language. So the Rosh B'nai Yisrael sees every Jew differently and on a different value system. Not a question of better or worse, just a different value system. We're taught when the sages saw what's going on with the destruction, they shut down the Bet Din, they shut down all the courthouses, and all of them went to start teaching children. They made a value decision. We need to think of how the Jewish people, together with the Torah, is going to outlive all this persecution. That was a plan. They didn't just say, no, we're going to teach every single Jew that comes by us, which they did anyway. But they were focused. This was the brain working, understanding the mechanisms of the body of the Jewish people. So we understand what the brain part of a Rebbe is. And we understand that in the brain part of a Rebbe, every Jew is seen as a different capacity, which automatically places certain values. Now let's talk about the heart. What is the heart's relationship with the body? The heart's relationship with the body, as explained in this mimer, is very simple. It's at the existential level of every single body cell. It's just that simple. The job of the heart is, that's where the, the blood gets oxygenated and it's sent around the entire body. From the heart's perspective, every single cell in the body 
needs oxygen to survive. The minute there is a cutoff of oxygen supply, cells start dying. That rule applies whether you're a brain cell, or whether you're a finger cell, or whether you're a toenail cell. On the existential level of every organ and every cell, there is no value system. Every cell equally needs the blood being pumped from the heart. The blood goes through, gives oxygen, comes back empty of oxygen, once again gets filled with oxygen, once again goes through. That's the heart's focus. From the heart's perspective, is there a value system? From the heart's perspective, is there any cell in the body which has a higher tolerance to lack of oxygen than another cell? Or it's just very simple. Every single cell needs that oxygen equally. So from the heart's perspective, there is no value system. There is no priority. For it equally serves every single cell on its existential level to be or not to be is the question. It's really that simple. Now we go back to understanding what happened every Sunday. Every Sunday, just go ahead and do a Google search, go do a YouTube search, and just type in Sunday dollars by the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And just sit there, please, and watch for 20 minutes. You will literally see the most mind-boggling sight ever. Within a 20-minute span, let's say, how long does it take for everyone to go buy the Rebbe to receive the dollar? If there's a conversation, it takes a little longer. If there's not a conversation, if there's just a quick question answer, what are we talking about, 20 seconds? So now let's look at Let's just look at that for 20 minutes and watch what's flowing in front of the Rebbe. There is no, okay, from 9 to 10, all scholars will come with any scholarly questions. From 10 to 11, any parent that's dealing with children that have issues, come. Anyone dealing with intermarriage questions, please show up at 12 to 1. Don't you think that would be so much easier for the Rebbe? So now that everyone knows he's talking Talmud language, now he's talking basic Judaism language, now he's talking education language. That's not what happens. Just watch the flow. It's just unbelievable. One thing I can share with you, that the brain of the children of Israel would not be able to deal with that. The heart of the children of Israel, Watching every single color of the rainbow of the Jewish people's affiliation. Watch what's going on by that Sunday dollars. It's just unbelievable. More than anything I can share with you today about the Rebbe being the heart of the Jewish people, a 20-minute watch of a YouTube clip of the Rebbe giving out dollars on Sunday will tell you everything I'm saying par excellence. How could it be? That's the definition of the heart of the children of Israel. Now understand where the love of a Rebbe comes from. This heart, this heart that sees every single Jew equally, 
The heart to which there is no scholar, there is no ignoramus, there is no pious, there is no secular. Every single Jew has just one label to the heart. You know what that label is? Take a guess, my friend. What's the heart? What's the Rachel, right? What? Huh? What is the heart? Precious. That's all. That's all. The heart, which his job is to imbue faith, love, fear, awe for God. It sees every Jew equally. It sees every Jew as precious. End of story. And therefore, if the guy is coming with purple hair, or the person is coming with a beard and pay, is going down to his knees. Precious. To the heart, every cell is precious. Pump oxygen, or the cell dies. That's all. There's no value system. There's no capacity system. There's no prioritization system. It's that simple. So we understand that tonight we're focusing on not the Rebbe as the Rosh B'nai Yisrael, as the head of the children of Israel. We're focusing on the Rebbe as the heart. Understand that the Rebbe's definition of love comes from the heart of the children of Israel. Because there the love is not dependent upon any Jew's capacity devotion is dependent upon just the existential existence of the Jew. With that being said, I'd like to quote to you what the Rebetzin, Rebetzin Chaya Mushka of Blessed Memory said about her husband, the Rebbe. She said that she always referred to the Rebbe as the man, the husband. She said that my husband's strength Lies in his lays in his three faiths. The Rebbe had three faiths. And the Rebbe explained My husband has faith in God, faith in the Torah, and faith in a fellow Jew. Now understand that before the Rebbe, before 1902, there were people who had absolute faith in God. Before 1902, there were people who had absolute faith in the Torah. However, the Rebbe's faith in every single Jew is legendary. When you hear Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, Lord Rabbi, Lord Jonathan Sachs, give him his appropriate title, he deserves it. When you hear him talk about the Rebbe and his private audience, he talks about how unlike any other leader he met, where the leader is creating followers, the Rebbe is a leader who creates leaders. He went in there thinking that the Rebbe is going to demand of him to follow the ways of Chassidus, to follow. And all the Rebbe did to him, that whole talk was, why aren't you taking upon yourself this leadership? Why aren't you moving forward with this? The faith the Rebbe has in every single Jew that can only come from the heart's relationship with every single cell of the body. It's from this trust in every single Jew that the Rebbe cast his love for every single Jew. What a total different dimension. 
in closing. This Tuesday is going to be the 20th yard site. Right, that's a serious number. The 20th yard site. In the 20th yard site of his father-in-law, the Rebbe spoke about this, con this coming Tuesday. The Rebbe spoke about this teaching that even after Samson, the great Shimshon Agibar, even after his passing, up to 20 years, just his, his presence kept on putting fear into all the enemies of the Jewish people and they didn't miss. 20 years is not small. The Rebbe focuses many times in the teachings that it says that even after a father dies, we don't allow the son to enter into the real estate dealings of a father until he's 20 years old. Because the first 10 years is the development of the intellect of wisdom. The second 10 years is the, the development of the intellect of understanding. And that's why even in the heavenly courts, if you remember the story of the spies, only those that were 20 years old were held accountable. We're talking about 20 years. We're expecting a certain maturity out of us. To stop just fiddling around with, with all oh, the Rebbe, the Rebbe, the Rebbe is so great. We're expecting something. We're expecting from ourselves a mature relationship. I would like to suggest tonight, in, in, again, in lieu with what we were talking about tonight, we focused on one concept, the love of a Rebbe. I would suggest that what is asked of us on the 20th yard site is that we open up our hearts to allow that concept of the heart of the children of Israel to flow through us. Now, again, leave alone the abstract. Let's talk about practical. You and I, we look at people and very quickly we place a value on them. We, pay, we place a priority on what kind of importance their relationship to us or our relationship to them can be. I look at this person, I find out what he does for a living, what his financial capacity is, what his level of wanting to give, to help, to build, and immediately I have a value system for him. Okay, this person in my life can serve as A, B, and C. And not only that, in mentorship. I look at a person, I find in him things that I want, or I find in her things I want. A good heart, a mental kite, what a beautiful way to look at people. So I have a value system. This person can do A, B, and C in my life. Sometimes this value system also goes negative. I start seeing things I don't like. What I'd like to suggest is the minute that starts happening, the minute we're looking at another Jew at a level of priority, a level of capacity, a level of what you can do for me, it's time to close our eyes, stop, and just picture this person, the he or she that we're starting to judge and give a capacity level, a priority level in our lives. Let's just picture for a moment this person, this he or she, having their 20 seconds on Sunday morning in front of the Rebbe. Let us for a second try to picture what the heart of the children of Israel is seeing and feeling for this person that we just gave a capacity priority level 
And most probably, we're all egocentric. We probably gave him a pretty low level, or her a pretty low level. And now let's look at that. Do you know the one thing, if you listen to thousands of testimonies, no joke, thousands of testimonies of people's experiences with the Rebbe, from all walks of life, do you know what the first thing they'll always end up mentioning is? That feeling that when I was standing in front of the Rebbe, nothing existed in his life but me. In quality and quantity, the Rebbe for those 20 seconds belonged completely to me. I was the only and most important person in the Rebbe's life for those 20 seconds. That's a heart at work, not a brain. Now we can ask of ourselves, maybe we can start allowing that heart of the children of Israel to flow through our heart when we start judging how we feel about other people. When we start wondering what they're worth to the Jewish people, what they're worth to the Jewish community, what they're worth to me and my job. Stop for a moment. Let's give the brain a rest. Let's focus on the Rebbe's love. Let's focus on the heart of the children of Israel. Let's see the other person on their existential level because what you're going to see is a direct copy of who you are on the existential level. Cells of the chosen body in need of oxygen. That's all. My friends, if you can close your eyes and picture what that Jew, who we would have written off decades ago, if you can just picture him or her standing in front of the Rebbe, picturing what the heart of the children of Israel is seeing and feeling in this body cell, in this Jew, you'll begin to see what King Solomon would have written the Book of Songs all about. People, thank you. Thank <laughs> you.